Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, and it can be found in the Pew Bible on page 788. Do not judge so that you may not be judged, for with judgment you make you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark Montgomery. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I want to welcome you, those who are joining us here at our Stafford campus and those joining us online. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And I just want to start off by asking you, did you know that it takes certain whales 18 months to be born? That's a really long time. Butterflies only take three weeks to hatch. You think the whales ever get jealous of the butterflies? You know, I uh, graduated college in four years. A buddy of mine dropped out of college. And another friend of ours actually took so many college-level courses in high school, she was able to graduate before she was able to even have wine at her graduation party, right? Mars takes 687 days to orbit the sun. Jupiter takes 12 years. Uh, You know J.K. Rowling? She wrote the Harry Potter novels. Well, before she ever uh, became famous, before she ever had any one of those novels published, she was 29 years old. She was living off food stamps. Apparently, the way the legend goes, I don't know if it's fully true or not, she couldn't afford to make photocopies of her manuscripts, so she had to manually hand-type every single one of them. And then she would present them to dozens of publishers and then was rejected time and time and time again, which means she was typing up a lot of manuscripts. You compare it to now, I I think she's doing okay. Would you agree with that? Yeah. We didn't hear much about Jesus until he was 30 years old. Jehoash was seven years old when he was crowned king of Israel. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to her very first child, Isaac. My mom was 20 years old when she married my dad. He was 28. Anne Frank only had 15 years on this earth. Leonardo da Vinci was 51 years old when he painted the Mona Lisa. I want to welcome you back to our sermon series, I Quit. For the past three weeks, we've we've been talking about quitting bad habits. I quit assuming. I quit complaining. I quit hiding. See, the idea is, if we stop participating in these bad habits, we will strengthen our relationship with God and with each other. So our final topic today, as we close the series, we're going to talk about I quit comparing. That doesn't happen to any of us, right? You know, in fact, scientists will tell you that uh, comparison is actually wired into our brains. We're, we're actually built in a way to compare ourselves to the world around us. It's how we get a baseline for understanding the world and our place in it. 
We compare the past with the future, with the present. We compare right from wrong. We compare how things make us feel with how they make us look, with how they make us think, with how they make us react. We compare ourselves with the rich. We compare ourselves with the poor. You know one of my very favorite types of comparison that I like to do? I compare myself and what I'm wearing with what all of you are wearing. It's how I can decide if I'm wearing the right things that day. It's actually a lesson I learned the hard way. Uh, I was in a wedding a number of years ago. My wife, Melissa, and I were on our way to the rehearsal dinner. And I remember the rehearsal dinner invitation said attire, Florida casual. So, first of all, I just, first thing I should have realized, it was a fancy dinner because they sent out invitations to the rehearsal dinner, right? Clue number one, I was living in Corpus Christi, my wife and I were living in Corpus Christi at the time, and in Corpus Christi, Texas, can I tell you what Corpus Christi, Texas casual is? It is uh, linen pants and a button-up beach shirt, so I thought, okay, Florida casual, let's do this. We were riding with a couple over to the fancy country club, and I remember looking at my friend McKinnon. He was my roommate from seminary. It was our other roommate. He was getting married. And I remember looking at him, no joke, and he was wearing a tie and a button-up and some khakis, and I thought, somebody didn't catch the clue. (laughs) I thought, he's going to be so embarrassed when he walks through that door at the really nice country club. But he wasn't, because everybody else was wearing exactly what he was wearing I was the only person in linen pants, sandals, and a button-up beach shirt that was really loud. Florida casual, if I only knew. You know, sometimes comparison can be helpful. The problem with comparison is that most of us use it to answer two burning questions. Will I ever be enough? Will I ever have enough? Right? We look at the world around us and we wonder, am I enough? Do I have enough? And so we start looking at everybody else and we start comparing to figure out if we are enough, if we have enough. You know, the danger with this type of comparison is it causes us, it forces us to put a value on ourselves and we start valuing other people by, if we think, by our perception of whether or not they have enough and if we think they are enough. Let me give you an example. When we're trying to figure out how we can be enough and how we can have enough, we look at the people who we think do, right? We, we look at the people who we think have it all together. And we do what's called an upward social comparison. And so we'll take somebody or a family or a couple and we'll think, all right, who is perfect? Who has got it all together? Who has the best Facebook photos? Who has more than us? And we'll start comparing. You know, John and Carla, they never argue. Their Facebook photos are always perfect. In fact, they take them in the coolest places. And so, did you see that vacation they took to Hawaii? Maybe if we just took nicer vacations. No, you know what it is. They have a bigger house than we do. It's all that extra square footage. If we would just get the bigger house. Now, I want to be honest. I I know what it is. I'm a size zero, and she's a size four. If I could just lose the weight... No, you know, it's it's his job. It's such a good job. If if I would just get that better degree so that I could get the promotion, life would be better. You ever find yourself making that sort of comparison? You know, the word that we use to describe people like this, when we're making upward social comparisons, do you know what we what word we use to describe those folks? Normal. 
You see, we've bought into this idea. When we do an upward social comparison, we bought into this lie that there is something wrong with us because we aren't the way that we perceive them to be or we don't have what they have. And so we think we're not enough. We think we don't have enough. That we're not normal. Well, I'm going to say something that might surprise you. You're right. We're not normal. You know why? Because normal doesn't exist. Did you know that God created each and every one of us? God created you uniquely different with a unique purpose in mind, which means what? That normal doesn't exist. Can I get an amen, church? There is no such thing as normal. Normal is a lie we tell ourselves. Somebody said, you know, I, I think I know what normal is. It's a setting on the dryer, right? That's the extent of what normal is. The second thing I would say is what we see on Facebook and what we see on Instagram of these perfect families in these perfect places doing these perfect things and having these perfect moments, it's all a facade. It's an illusion of perfection that we all want to present to the rest of the world. Did you know that there are filters on our social media apps that can actually take the imperfections out of my out of our photos? Did you know that? I had somebody after the 815 service this morning come to me and say, yeah, you know, I actually used one of those apps one time with my family. Do you know what it did? No joke. He said it removed my face from the picture. <laughs> Gosh. Guess he found out the hard way. He's not perfect. This is the life that we all long to present to the world. But it's not who we really are. It's not. But we do it anyway. And we find ourselves chasing after perfection and we continue this game of comparison. And you would think that even though it leaves us feeling pretty crummy, we'd stop comparing. But do you know what we do instead? We want to feel better about ourselves. And we so we do what's called a downward social comparison. We look around at the people around us and we start to wonder, okay, I need to feel better. So I think that they're not as morally good as I am. They don't have as much as I do. And so I feel a little bit better. You ever find yourself doing that sort of comparison? In fact, we will do it to justify our own bad behavior, the the bad decisions that we've made. For instance, you know, I may have to work a lot, but at least I'm not like Dan. He travels all the time. I may yell at my children on occasion, but at least I'm not like that mom who lost it in the grocery store the other day. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I may be swimming in debt, but at least I'm not like Steve. Steve's family's down to one car. Can you believe it? I'm sorry if your name is Steve. That was not intended for you. We struggle with wondering if we are enough, if we'll ever be enough. So we look at the people around us, We place value on them based on our own perception of whether or not we think they are enough and they have enough. And do you know what this kind of comparison does to us? It changes us. It changes our heart. It corrupts our heart. changes our mind and the way we perceive and see the world around us. It changes our very being. This kind of comparison keeps us from being ourselves And it prevents us from showing compassion to the people around us. And you know what we do as Christians? When we're caught in this game of comparison, we stop asking, how can I love God more and how can I love others? And we start asking, do I want to be like you or do I want to condemn you? And Jesus is really clear in Scripture, especially in our Scripture today, Matthew 7. He's very clear 
to warn us against this type of comparison that can lead us to condemnation. So if you have your Bibles, in the Pew Bibles it's 788, but it's a scripture we read today in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while there is a log in your own eye? You know, it's actually in this warning that we find a solution. It's in this warning that Jesus reminds us that God is all good and great and powerful. In fact, God is the only one who can truly judge or condemn any of us. And so if we keep waiting for people to fail because they aren't enough and they don't have enough, then we are inviting God to treat us the exact same way. And what Jesus, I think, is implying here is that we will never, ever, 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 ever find from anybody else in this world who we're truly supposed to be. No one else in this world can truly tell us that except for God. So the truth I want you to hear today, if you leave here today hearing one thing, it's this. You're enough. You're enough. And you have enough. You're enough and you have enough because you are loved. Because you belong. Because you have a purpose. Because your Father in Heaven has given you these things, not because of who you are compared to everybody else, but because God created you. You are enough. This should be our baseline comparison for everything else in the world. It should be the way in which we view the world around us. Comparison can make us question who God has called us to be, and it prevents us from loving and caring for those around us. In other words, we can forget who we are. We we can forget how we should act. So what do you think we should do? What should we do about this? Well, fortunately, Scripture actually gives us a solution. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. I feel like when we're in church, that's the easy answer, so I'm going to try it again. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning shame, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I love this passage. I love it because it's true. Here's how it's applied to my life. When I was uh, 18 years old, I started off in ministry. Um, To give you an idea, I was a freshman in college. I was called to be a youth director at a a church in Hamby, Texas, outside of Abilene, Texas. You know, Hamby United Methodist Church, you've probably heard of it. No, you've never heard of it because it was a small rural church of about 50 people. And uh, they were mostly wheat farmers. Because I was 18, you can imagine that you may think I look young now. I looked about five years old when I was 18. And uh, I remember coming from a town of 2 million people, being 18 years old. The, the students in my youth group were 14 and 16 around, and so it means that I was leading and directing people who weren't that much younger than me, and I was their youth director. And 
the two pastors who had full-time jobs but served at the church on the weekends, they were in their 60s, and everybody else was a little bit older. So you can imagine I started looking around, asking myself as I did this game of comparison, man, am, am I old enough to be doing what I'm doing? Am I too young? Am I too much of a city boy to be of any good to these folks in this church? I can't tell you how many times I almost quit that job. Not because I didn't like it, I loved it. But it's because I kept comparing myself to everybody else and I kept running up short every single time. You see, when we compare, we can lose sight of who God calls us to be. Now to keep our sense of calling, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. As we look to Jesus, we see his call on our lives to accept that we are loved, that we belong that we have purpose that is prepared in advance for us to do. You see, when I remember that, when I remember that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of my faith, and I remember who I am in it, and I look to the right place to figure it out, I, I can quit this game of comparing, and I can lean into my call. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel tired? you ever feel worn out trying to be somebody you're not? Man, I ask myself all the time, Am I a good enough parent? Am I a good enough husband? Am I a good enough pastor? Am I a good enough neighbor? Am I a good enough Christian? And it wears me out. It wears me out asking those questions. You know, I was in one of those places where I was asking myself, I was playing this game of comparison, and, and I wandered into an empty office here at the church, and somebody had on the wall, it said, it was a line from one of my most favorite Christmas hymns. It said, The thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. Man, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ is to find true joy. It's to find the thrill of hope. You see, we don't have to compare because none of this is enough. None of this is enough for us. Because we're not called to be a people of this world. We're called to be a people of the kingdom of God. And that's the thrill of hope. And it can wear us out when we forget that. So a weary world rejoices when we fix our eyes on on Jesus Christ. In fact, when we follow the one who is more than enough out into this world, do you know what happens? We remember that the one who has called us out in the world was the one who endured the cross and is able to scorn its shame and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's in him, it's in Jesus Christ that we find our value. And when we stop comparing, you know what else we do? We stop putting value on the lives of others. In other words, we trade our condemnation for compassion. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 7 verse 5 and he says this at the end of our passage. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. We can forget that it's the very people that we condemn are the same ones that Jesus came to rescue. It's ironic to me how quickly I, Mark Montgomery, can trade compassion for condemnation. And you know, I've read this verse, Matthew 7, 5, a thousand times in my life. When Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and I've read that, and I remove that log to the best of my ability, and I keep trying to do that, but I've missed it. I missed what he goes on to say. He says, so that you will see clearly 
to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. We're supposed to help our neighbors with their speck. How many times have I been on 95 and traffic has slowed to a halt because some guy had a flat tire and is off to the side of the road changing it? I mean, come on, how many times has that happened and I've been frustrated about it? And then I remembered one time, I was in that moment, I was frustrated, somebody for having a flat tire on the side of 95 because I needed to get where I was going and it was more important. And God kind of shook me in that moment. Does God ever shake you? God shook me in that moment and reminded me of something. This time when I was driving down 95 with my family, my wife and my son, and, and our tire actually blew out. And we had to pull off to the side of the road, and we just purchased the van. I wasn't quite sure what the spare tire was. I had, uh, was off the side of 95, and I was reading through all the instructions. The van door was open. I had everything in front of me. I swear I know how to change the flat. I just was having a little trouble. And this guy, who I've never met in my entire life and will probably never meet again, he can't, he pulled up to the side of the road and in a very lovingly way, didn't say much. He just kind of pushed me out of the way and he said, I got this. I don't know if it was written on my forehead, like, hey, he's good at preaching, but not much else. And then he went and he proceeded to change my flat tire for me in about three minutes and we were back on the road. But I forgot about that in that moment when I was frustrated at that guy for having a flat. How many times have I been frustrated at a parent who can't control their kids only to remember that time in Wegmans? Yeah, you know where this is going. When my three-year-old was having the most epic of meltdowns and everybody was given that, the, sne- the dirty look, you know what I mean? Only for this, this woman, this lady who's a little bit older, she came by and she said, it's okay, you're doing great. Keep it up. You got this. This is why small groups and real relationships are so vital. It allows us to see others the way that they truly are so that we might reveal who we truly are. I'm convinced that in this world we have too many surface relationships. And if we would just pick a few people that we trust and go a little bit deeper, be a little bit more vulnerable, it would do amazing to our mental health our emotional health and our spiritual health because in our vulnerability we would reveal our imperfections and what's amazing about those moments is it's in that moment that we share in the grace of Jesus Christ with a great cloud of witnesses and we trade condemnation for compassion. As we close this series, I quit. This has been all about becoming more like who God has called us to be and loving others the way God has called us to and seeing others the way God sees us. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge me. I want to challenge all of us. Pick one person. Pick one person. And I want to invite you to stop assuming. Stop complaining. Stop hiding. Stop comparing with that one person. If it's your spouse, don't tell them that you're doing this. Pick one person and for the next month, over the next four to six weeks, trade your condemnation for compassion. Quit assuming, quit hiding, quit complaining, quit comparing with that one person. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick my friend that I've known for ages and I have been comparing myself to for as long as I can remember. And the older I get, the more I condemn my friend. For what they do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trade 
my condemnation for compassion. For the next month, I am going to tirelessly show compassion to that one person. Just one. I'm going to show compassion to that one person with all that I can muster for the next month. So that by the end of it, I'm confident that I'll see them clearly. More confidently. Uh, I'm confident rather that I will see them differently. And here's what I know. If you'll join me in this challenge, if you'll quit assuming, quit complaining, quit comparing, and quit hiding from one person for the next four to six weeks, that by the end of it, you will see them the way that we're called to see others around us. If you do that, and then after that, pick the next person. And then after that, pick the next person. And then by then, you'll be a professional, so it'll only take you two weeks. You won't have to do it every four If you keep doing it over and over and over and over again, guess what's going to happen? We're going to look up and this world will be different because we're going to see the people around us differently. We're going to show compassion instead of provide condemnation. And we're going to love people the way that God loves us. And you know what? We're going to find something else out about us that we don't need everybody else to tell us who we truly are because our God in heaven, the one who made us, will remind us of our calling and who he has created us to be. That's what could happen If we say yes to this challenge, life is too short, life is too hard to focus on what we don't have. Don't spend another moment condemning others for what they're doing wrong. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So that we won't lose sight of the truth of the gospel that no matter what we are loved, no matter what we belong, no matter what we have purpose. To quote Savannah Locke, take a deep breath, knowing that you're not a minute behind schedule. You've come so far and you have quite the adventure ahead. Take a deep breath and release your heart's tug towards envy and condemnation. Your blueprint is not theirs. Yours is a divine, fresh expression of the divine. Take a deep breath. And step forward. Let's pray. Holy God, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for these people gathered around this room, but we thank you. We thank you for the grace we find through Jesus Christ. For the strength that you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. God, I pray. I pray that we would be willing to trade our condemnation for compassion and that instead of looking at others to tell us who we are, we'd look to you. We'd look to you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That we would lean into our call. We'd show compassion where we need to. That, Lord, we would be exactly who you've called us to be. That we might love you with all that we have. And we might love others as ourselves. Help us, Lord. Help us in all that we do in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, we pray. Amen.